Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> I'd Rather Be Killed by a Lion, part two is finally here. The first take, we had some sound issues and some technology issues, and we decided to record it again. And Cleve and I did that, and that one wasn't any good anymore either. So the third take is what we're getting. Shorty is not going to be on this episode. He is actually out doing what houndsmen do, and that's catching lions 
out in uh, some far reaches of California right now. So, but Cleve is going to cover all the bases for us here. It's a great conversation. Cleve and I talk about a lot of different things. I'm a rookie lion hunter. Uh, I like lion hunting, but I would not call myself a lion hunter. I guess I just did, which was wrong. I'm not a lion hunter. I'm a houndsman uh, that enjoys hunting lions. And Cleve is the lion hunter here. Very grateful that he's sharing his knowledge with us on the Houndsman XP podcast and talking about how to read, interpret lion sign, and especially kill sites. So think you're going to really enjoy this podcast. Cleve's, Cleve covers a lot of good ground on this one. If you like this podcast, if you're, if you're new to our podcast, if you haven't done so, then go to iTunes and leave us a review. And uh, don't just click the stars, but just take a line or two. Hey, I like the podcast. Great podcast. What, whatever you want to tell us on that thing. Highly recommend a five-star review, but at the same time, it's very important that you leave just a short comment. It would mean so much to us and helps out a lot. I'm not going to ramble on a lot on the pre-roll. We got a box shaker. It's time to get the Old South open and dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound it is being covered in the pages of southern hound honey magazine you also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle living it every day to the fullest from the rocky mountains to the southern swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond go to southernhoundhunting.com Get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Honey Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, we're going back to Nevada and we've got Cleve Dwyer. This is part two of I'd Rather Be Killed by a Lion. And if you haven't listened to part one, it's episode 129 on the Houndsman XP podcast. And uh, Cleve, how are you today, man? Good, good. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, uh, the reason this whole thing was dubbed I'd Rather Be Killed by a Lion was because of what uh, uh, Shorty said when we were talking about wolf and coyote kills compared to lion kills. And, and um, just recap that for us real quick about the difference between a lion kill and coyotes or um, uh, wolves and why we why we're calling this thing what we're calling it yeah yeah the difference between the two the uh, mountain lions when they make a kill they make it real night nice and neat and clean versus coyotes make it kind of trashy and sloppy and wolves in the same way they they scatter body parts of that animal all over and a mountain lion makes it nice and and uh, he does a good job of killing them. And then he bites through, you know, like the rib cage into the heart and liver versus coyotes and wolves. They just, they drag the intestines out of that animal before he's dead. And That's they, what I was getting at right there. They scatter yeah. deer hair and everything all over versus a lion. He's going to, as soon as he makes that kill, he's going to 
try to feed on a little bit and maybe drag it up underneath a cedar tree or juniper tree or someplace with heavier cover so the birds can't see it from there as easily and it's kind of just hidden and uh coyotes. they're just so they're just so efficient you know and that's the thing when you when you talk about lions is um and that's what these pod these two two-part podcast is all about is evaluating evaluating those lion kills and how we can be the most effective and efficient houndsman by knowing what we're looking at uh i can only imagine you know if if i saw the the magpies and the and the ravens and stuff circling or or whatever then i'd run over there and being a novice lion hunter i'd just see a kill but with your experience uh you've you've figured a few things out about how to uh, interpret some of these kill sites. Yeah. 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 I can, we can read them pretty well for the most part, you know, you get to where you can, you can read them quite well. Um, sometimes coyotes will get in on a, on a lion kill. Look, the lion killed it and coyotes get in there and scatter it. And then that gets a little bit tricky. But, uh, if you find that lion track there, most likely it was a lion. Yeah. Then, We're getting a little feedback way. from, from your mic rubbing your shirt there. Cleve, just so you know, there you go. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let's just run through a few things. And, uh, I think we're, we, we just, um, there's a few things that we need to recap. I want to talk about again, I want to, I want to go over again, the difference that you see between a, um, when a, when a Tom lion and a female, uh, make a kill them discuss some of those differences there we went into that pretty in depth but i think it's important because every lion hunter wants to i think most of us are are looking for the tom lion and before we before we recap that why is that why do why do lion hunters want to catch those tom lions well if you're guiding outfitter you want to you want to harvest a big tom you don't want to harvest a female and if you got a client in you don't want to waste your time chasing a lion that you don't plan on harvesting. So you got to get to an extent pretty good at, at judging what killed that, what killed that deer, mm -hmm. what killed that elk. And uh, there's several ways you can determine that. The main one is to see if there's scratches nearby. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind is the size of the tracks you find. And if there's scratches, if those, those Tom scratches right there, the most likely, you know, you got a tom there, and most likely he's the one that killed it. Yeah. Before we get there, though, is there a conservation side of it? I'm kind of set. I'm kind of oh, throwing gotcha. you a bone here. You know, mm -hmm. why, as hunters, is it important that we target those mature toms? Wanna, What's your opinion on that? We want to target those mature toms because they're they're the ones we want to kill. They're they're not our they're not so much our producers that that female she's our producer so if you want more lions next year you don't want to kill that female if you can keep from it especially especially if she has kittens you know of course but oh yeah yeah, yeah. so you want to be able to judge that and uh, that tom you know there's going to be another tom that'll come in there to breed them females but uh you want to you want to harvest tom that mature Tom's already covered several females and produced several letters. So he, he's already shared his, he's already made his uh, investment in the mountain lion population several times over. He's bred several females over the years. And, and so his genetic, his genetic investments already been made there on the population. 
Is that is that your opinion too? I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you definitely want to. You definitely want to be as picky as you can, and and be able to choose the difference. You know. Do you think a Do you think an old mature tom is 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 more difficult to track and catch than say an older female? What do you think about that? I think it. I think it all depends on on the individual lion. You know, some of them older females they can they can run, and they're a lot of them are skinny. Some of them will be barren. You know, they're really old, so they can really run and they can line out as well. And uh, they're they're going to be a little faster than an old tom. But uh, some of them old toms are some of them can run too, and they've been around the block a, a while. You know, so they you know, you... learn a lot. If I compare it back to deer hunting, if you if people allow me to do that a little bit, some of those old herd does can be the toughest deer to kill. I mean, a buck a buck will make mistakes, whereas a, a doe will bust you, and she'll she'll you've got to get past her a lot of times before you. And I would say that those old female lions are they're old for a reason. They've been caring for kittens, protecting kittens, avoiding predators. So that's no easy task, but you know the conservation-based, scientific, wildlife management reason we go after those toms is so that we can keep her genetics going, and and uh, she is our producer. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On average, you know, most of the time a female's harder to trail versus a tom because the tom's going to leave more scent as well. So it's uh, there's a difference there. Makes it makes it a little bit more difficult to trail a female because the tom's bigger he smells more you know he leaves more scent so that can that can be a factor as well sometimes we'll be trailing a line and and they strike it like it's like it's a night old track and then you get into it and they're not trailing it real well and you think man they they trail it like it's like it's a female they're having a little bit more trouble that happened last week we were trailing and and we struck a line track and first i didn't know the dogs were on tom or female Pretty soon, dogs start having a little more trouble with it, and just kind of the way that line track is going, I, I said, I think it's a female. And sure enough, we ride the mules up to the top of that ridge, and and Becky, my wife, found the, the line track. She said, Yeah, it's a female. So it's just it was tougher to trail just for the dogs, and we could kind of read it that way. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter: boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment dog boxes kennel supplies collars clothes squalors whoo they have it all briar creek kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer owner chris girth will ensure briar creek kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. But we're looking, so this this whole podcast series, this, this part, the I'd rather be killed by a line is about evaluating kills and um, saving lion hunters times who saving, saving houndsmen time that are trying to catch that Tom. So let's talk about 
get into evaluating those kills a little more and how we can how we can be more effective and I'm not going to say waste time because anytime you've got your hounds on a track and you can work your hounds is not wasted time. And anytime we can be hunting is not wasted time. But if, if we're up against uh quota, quota limits and, and deadlines, or you're a professional, professional um, outfitter and you need to get that, get a Tom out on the limb, we can do that. So pick it up and just tell us what we need to be looking for. On, on evaluating the, the difference between Tom and a female, um, if it's towards the end of the kill, them lines will get to where they're starting to crunch some of them bones, and Toms will crunch the bigger bones on average than the female will. And I think we spoke about that before, but that's that's a good point as well because that female, she's she's not as big of a line. She's not as big of jaws. She can't crush them bones as well to get the, all that marrow out and crush the nose on that that deer or crush the top of that skull on that deer get those brains so there's a difference there as well but a big tom he's going to crush crush those bones a lot more so if you're on the tail end of that kill pay attention to that and you you might say okay this this tom might have cleaned this kill up he might be within a few canyons so he might be right there so it's worth looking for him and wh where are you going to find that bo those bones? Are you just looking at the kill site when you're evaluating this and seeing crunched up bones, or are you seeing bones in the scat? Um, you'll see bones. Yeah, you'll see bones in that scat, and then you'll you'll find those bones, you know, at the kill site as well. And then coyotes will sometimes go in there and scatter those bones, and you'll mm -hmm. find them scattered here and there within you know 30, 40 yards of that kill site. And uh, but mainly in the in that scat when you right up a canyon you find that that scat it's got a lot of bones in it you know that you're towards the end of that that lion's kill if if not towards the very end he might have already cleaned all that that deer up so he might he might not be there he might he might be 10 miles away but oftentimes they'll come back here in the great basin them, them lines of them toms will come back and check on that kill even though he cleaned it up just check on it to see if something else came back into it how how long after how long are we talking after he makes the kill? Sometimes a week, sometimes three weeks, somewhere in there. Three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we found where they'll come in and out of curiosity, they'll come back in and check up on it and just to see if, you know, another line came by. I don't know if he comes in to see if another Tom came by and made a scratch by it or or cleaned up on it or females hanging around in there. But we found where they'll come back in there just to check on it, just out of curiosity. So so okay you're out lion hunting, you find a kill, you're pretty sure it's a Tom kill, but, but it's not active. It's an older kill. When you hunt for the next week or two weeks, do you still go by that old kill that you found to check to see if that, that Tom came back by there? Yep. I think there's a chance that he came back into there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Most time you can get a pretty good idea of where you think he would might've went after he finished that kill up. Mm -hmm. And if you go up, up to that part of the range and you don't find him, you don't find him on the other end of the range. Come back and check on that, and uh, kick a kick a few dogs out and let them let them hunt it. Because sometimes them dogs will strike that track before you see it. Once they get it going, then you got to evaluate if it's the right line. But uh, but yeah, come back and check on that. Um, I had that happen this last last spring. We we'd had a t big tom that killed a deer, and he came back a few days, seven or eight days later. You know, check on it. So mm -hmm. we killed him. So. Yeah, because I can I can see an opportunity there, 
you know, I don't want to pass that up. If I can't get something else going, um, then, then that's kind of like a standby. It's like, well, we can't find a track. Let's run back by that kill we found last week and just check that real quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a backup plan. Cause if you're not finding him at, you know, at the north end of the range or the south end of the range, he might've went right back to where he'd, he'd clean that kill up, even though there's nothing left for him there to eat on. Just go back to it. Um, another point, it's not always finding that kill or them birds nor that scratch, but if you find a lot of lion tracks in, a, in an area, just the whole canyon's tracked up, there's a good chance there's a kill there, and you might have to make a big circle until you find the fresher end of that track. So just because he didn't make a scratch there doesn't mean he's he's not he's not in there. Sometimes I just walk up and, and down a canyon going back to water or something. So if you find a bunch of bunch of tracks all over tracked up in that canyon, most of the time they don't just track up a canyon for any reason. There, there's a reason that reasons they probably got a kill in there. So mm-hmm. I mean to you know point out the obvious, but you'd be surprised some guys might say, "Man, them lines have been hanging out in this canyon. Let's go look for." for that line on the other side of the canyon, but he might be right there. So. So when you're, when you're out hunting and, and you're looking for these kills or you're say, say you walk in, you're evaluating this kill and you're seeing tracks coming and going. Um, is there anything particular you look for in that, in that area to, to try to determine which way you need to go to find that lion or, or what are you looking for there? Yeah, if um, if it's in the winter time and there's snow on the ground, there's patches of snow here and there. Them lines, they don't need to go to water. Some of them will go to water. Some will go out of their way to go to water, but some of them, some of them will just eat snow and get enough enough moisture out of that snow to get their water source. Now, if it, there's no snow on the ground, you want to start looking looking for your first water source. It might be just a little trickle of water coming out of out of a rock hillside or a rock cliff. Or it might be a, a stock tank, you know, two or three miles away. You're gonna wanna you wanna go ahead to those places or intercept in between that kill and that water source. There's a good chance that line's going to to those water sources. And then once you find them tracks uh, headed there, you're probably gonna find a couple sets of tracks going back and forth. Then you're gonna need to evaluate which one's the freshest one to put the dogs on. It seems to me like if I was a lion, every every deer every horse everything that i'm going to eat if i'm a lion needs water mm-hmm. so do you do you see lions spending a lot of times around water sources to hunt i mean it, that's if if i if my diet is sagebrush you know say i'm a mule deer and 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 there's sage tons of sagebrush out there i could walk around for a long time or or hunt for a long time to find a deer but if there's only one water source in that area then that deer's got to come to that water source do you so do you find a lot of kill sites around there or, or what's your experience on that yeah you found a, you find a fair amount you don't always find um you know not as many as you think but that's definitely a spot you need to go look because out here in out here in the desert there's not a lot of water and they're kind of bottlenecked to and forced to go to those places so you definitely want to go check those spots out if you uh if you can't find him find him close to that kill he's he might be at that water he might be watering there at that time while you're looking at that kill so head to that water and you don't want to just go to the water itself and just say oh nope he didn't come around 
you want to make a circle around that water, maybe 100 yards, 100 yards away from that water, make a big circle. And uh, most time you'll you'll find him coming in on one of those cattle or horse trails, and then you can evaluate which way he's going, put them dogs on it, and get that track moving. If it's warm, as soon as you get there, you're gonna to want to water your dogs up, so you don't have to interrupt your dogs any sooner than you want to. So water your dogs up if you can. As soon as you go to that water, water them, and then make a big circle so they're hydrated before you, before they strike that track. Because once it gets to trail on that track, you don't gonna to want to have to stop them and water them unless you you know unless you need to. So uh, make sure they're hydrated and then you're ready to roll. One thing, I'll just throw this out, and this has nothing to do with lion hunting. This has to do with watering hounds and and training dogs to. Uh, we you can actually you can actually condition a dog of when they need to be drinking water. And I've I've worked on this for a long time. But if you if you will condition your hounds that as soon as that they come out of the dog box, they they get a drink of water and then you're you're guaranteed every time it doesn't just have to be at that particular time that that you're at a water source but if i open the dog box and i condition those dogs by doing some water baiting and stuff like that i'm telling you they they figure it out it's like oh the first thing i do when i come out of the dog box is i get a drink of water and now we're going hunting you know what i mean yeah uh, mm -hmm. it's it's the same way with with when i leave camp the first thing I do in the mornings is I'll put everything out on the road, let them clean out and, and do all that stuff right there and put some water down for them. So they're hydrated, they're cleaned out and I'm not walking by a dog box at noon and smelling a nasty dog box. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so you can, you can take care of some of that, that, but that's, that's probably the only valuable input I'm going to have at all in this whole conversation is you can condition your hounds of when to drink water. You're like, exactly. Yeah. 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 I hear you. And, and a lot of guys do that and it, it works quite well. Another thing you can do is uh, say if you're hunting lions, say if you're on mules or whatever, and you cut a lion track and the dogs can't move it but you think that line's someplace close there and they're gonna strike it here in a little bit. I, what I like to do is I water them dogs as, you know, as soon as I see that line track and then water them a little bit later. So, you know, they're gonna strike it here within, you know, 20, 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. You might be able to see the track, but they can't smell it quite yet. They can't move it. Keep them, keep them hydrated. And then once they do strike that, um, they're they're gonna they're gonna have some water in in their stomach. Another thing is don't There's don't over don't overwater them if you get real hot weather. Some guys think oh just let them drink as much as they want, but that that can hurt you because that can get them too bellied up on water and that don't do any favors. Kind of just so keep them hydrated uh, throughout the day. So when you're when you're watering hounds like that, remember that we gotta we gotta take that back to how the olfactory of a dog's nose works as they're breathing in and out, especially. I notice that when I come from the east and I go west, uh, the first few days I'm out there, you know, my throat's dry, my my uh, sinuses are dry until I get used to everything. So it does have an effect in your arid, arid environment there. But uh, a dog has to have moisture in their olfactory senses in order to be able to scent. So as they're pulling that scent up into their nose, if it's moist – 
their lips are moist, their nose is moist, they're olfactory, they're well hydrated. It actually rehydrates that scent molecule so that they can smell it. So you, you're right on the money. Yeah, yeah, it helps a bunch, huh? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that that uh that definitely makes a difference. You keep them hydrated and everything works better, you know. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And just and not overwater them, you know. A lot of a lot of guys make that mistake and then your dog got a belly full of water. That can that can be kind of tough on them. So exactly. So so let's talk a little bit about uh, interpreting some of these tracks around some of these kills and how you determine uh, what line you want to chase and and whether you're going to pass this one by there's a million different directions we can go here cleve i mean I, i'm used to hunting out of a truck and out of a dog box you're used to hunting off a mule back and and off foot and in different different places out there so i think that might be a a different podcast we could do someday is the difference between you know free casting hounds from mules and and out of it and hunting out of a truck but um let's talk about how you how you evaluate those tracks around kill sites and and what happens when when they're dragging their kills how far they drag kills things like that yeah so uh a big tom's gonna drag say 150 pound deer a lot further than a little 70 or 80 pound female of course obviously but there's something to keep in mind when that that lion's dragging dragging a deer or domestic sheep or an elk or something he's going to displace a lot more weight over his over his tracks on his especially his front quarters because he's got that deer or elk in his mouth and mm -hmm. he's dragging it so that's going to displace those tracks and spread those toes out and that can be deceiving uh, you know, a little 70, 80 pound female that's dragging 150 pound deer, 100 pound deer, it's going to spread her toes out and make her look like she's bigger than what she is. But what one needs to do is, is go back maybe around the surroundings of that kill or further back before she killed that or whatever for the deer and see what her track looked like there and make sure it's what you want to want to harvest, you know, and spend the day on. And uh, that, that makes quite a bit of difference because it can be quite deceiving and, and everybody wants to find a big one, you know, and they, right. in the back of your mind, you, you want to say, man, that's a big lion, but it's not always the case, especially if they're dragging something. So uh, it can fool you, something to keep in mind. And then of course, you know, if you got scratches there then, and it's a big scratch, you know, 10, 10, 12 inches long by eight inches wide, that's, that's a big Tom. So that's something that's that's surefire to know that you got a big one there. So then, uh, then you go forward on it. What what did you say? Refresh my memory. What did you say the difference was between a, a female scratch and a tom scratch? Uh, and the females, when they're by a kill, they'll make a mound. It'll be, say, I don't know, 16, 18 inches wide sometimes and 8 or 10 inches tall. And there'll be several piles of scat that she'll leave in there and then she'll pile pine needles or cedar cedar needles up on top of it and most time that'll be within I don't know, 20 30 feet 20 30 yards of that keel and it's not as common but if you find one of those that's a female because some toms don't make those toms make regular scratch like you normally would you know with his hind feet and it kicks kicks that them pine needles back and he'll oh, you, just, you just went there. there you just oh. you just you just went there and said that 
and opened up that whole can of worms about front feet oh. versus hind feet again. Yeah. Um, so, so and, but does a female scratch, does it appear more neat? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's nicer and neater. It's kind of just, she, she's got it piled up and, and she's kind of, kind of just kind of has it right there, not too far from her keel. And it's very distinct. It's, there's no way you can mistake it for a Tom, Tom scratch. It's kind of like, a, we kind of call them a, like a female mound. And uh, it's not as common, of course, but it's it's a surefire way to tell that it's a female. Why do you, why do you think they're more neat about making their scratches? And believe me, I could confuse you too. If I came out there with you, Cleve, and when we're when we're, when I come out and go hunting, you're just going to have to turn me loose. And uh, but I'll confuse them. I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where Tom he. You know, he's he's kind of more aggressive when he makes them versus a female. She's more discreet. She's she's kind of just mounted up, kind of like to say, hey, you know, I got a kill here. You know, this is, you know, this is what I did. This is mine. I don't know. I don't know if she's saying it's it's open to anybody else or not. But a Tom, when he does his scratches, he's a little more aggressive about it. And then a big Tom's going to make make a better scratch than a young Tom. You know, a big old Tom's going to make one better than a young Tom. They're just better at making them as well. But, um, at the at the same point, like those females don't always make those, so you can't always go by that. But that is a surefire way. If you find one, there's a difference there, and then then you know to go look for a different line if you want to kill Tom. If you find one of those, I'm the type of I'm the type of person that I like I like to ask questions like that and and ask why would a Tom why are they so violent? Why are, is it is it a deal where they're it's like their calling card and saying hey I am a big Tom. And so I'm being, like you said, aggressive when I make this scratch, whereas a female line is more like, okay, yeah, we're going to be nice and neat about this. It's, it's like, it's like the difference between when my son makes his bed, uh, when the kids were little, when my son would make his bed and my daughters would make their bed, you know, they had it all nice and neat and it was kind of, it says something about them. And I think it's the difference between, uh, males and females, regardless of, and not trying to be Walt Disney type and put human emotions to animals. But I think there is something to that. Um, it's like, Hey, I'm going to make this big scratch and I'm going to tear this place up. And anybody that comes by here is going to know that I'm a big Tom, even if, and even the little Toms want to be big Toms. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you find some of those that they, you see these little scratches and you think, well, he's being 105 pounds. He's sure proud, you know, <laughs> but you can tell there's a difference, you know, he's, uh, he's got a different looking scratch. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. And another thing you can look at is, uh, if you're, if you find an old kill and that cartilage is <clears throat> bit off, sorry about that bit off the nose that nose is eaten off that's most likely a lion kill uh, coyotes don't really eat that that nose much but lions do they're they're pretty pretty consistent on eating that that cartilage off there when they finish up a kill so that's a when they finish it up that's going to mm-hmm. be one of the last things they do that's yeah, going to be one of the last things they do yep mm-hmm. when they're before they go to crunching on them bones and cleaning up all the hooves and all that they'll they'll crunch that nose and eat that cartilage on there and that, that's a pretty that's a pretty good way to tell that it's an old lion kill you know if it's in question so mm-hmm. and then of course the ribs on a lion kill will 
that, that deer elk will have a hole right through where the heart and liver and lungs would be. And um, if that rib cage is still intact, then that would uh, that'd be a good surefire way to tell that it was a line kill as well. Now so, say that say that again. Uh, you lost that, me there a little bit. Oh, yeah. When that line makes that kill, say on a deer or elk, he's going to obviously eat through the rib cage most time and eat the heart and liver. So they're going to okay. be a there's going to be a hole, you know, maybe a oh, basketball sized hole or something going through that rib cage, and that'd be a, a surefire way to tell if it's an old kill versus old line kill versus you know anything else roadkill coyote whatever i got uh, you that line's gonna that's what he's gonna want first is the heart and liver and lungs so now in previous conversations did you say that that lines behave differently on the the order that they eat like down towards arizona and colorado did you find that they they start in different places in different regions or am i, am I talking about that right yeah, so there's we've noticed there's there's different feeding habits for different regions. So in uh, say in Colorado and here in the Great Basin, that first part of that lion's kill, you know, he's going to eat the to the ribs and eat the heart, liver, and lungs. And then the, his second feeding will be on the on one of the shoulders or the neck. But down in say central Arizona, down the Sonoran Desert, it's it's a little bit different. He's still going to eat through that rib cage, heart, and liver, and lungs. And then his second feeding, 12, you know, 24 hours later, whenever he comes back, he's going to eat on the hindquarter most likely. And that's not written in stone, but that's that's something we've noticed quite a bit not in the two differences. So there's a difference in, in regions. So that's something to think about mm-hmm. and pay attention, you know. If, if it is, if there is doubt in your mind whether it's a lion kill or not, then that uh, you're going to have that, uh, you're going to have that, that lion eating on the hindquarters down, down in Arizona. And then same goes for, say, Colorado and the Great Basin. Um, in Colorado, like a big tom there, will typically finish up his kill or, or until it spoils. But he'll lay there not too far from that, that deer or whatever until it's finished up completely or until it spoils. Versus in the Great Basin, that's about 50% of the time. 50% of the time he'll stay there and lay on it and finish it up until it's gone. And 50% of the time he'll take off and go look for another kill or just go wandering around and coyotes might clean it up before he gets back because he might not come back for two or three days. And then in Arizona, those lines down there, a big tom there will eat on say domestic calf or coal or coos deer or something. He'll feed on it for about three days, three or four days. And then, then he'll take off and most time he won't come back. He'll make another kill. For whatever reason so those are the three differences in those regions to keep in All mind right. so i've got a question about that we'll be right back after we get this quick word from our sponsor check out dogs are treat at dogsartreat.com and if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code hxp 20 percent off you will get 20 percent off of your entire order on all of their branded products leashes tieouts medical kits paws are protected build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle enter the code hxp 20 percent off at checkout go to the website today at dogsartree.com yeah so say uh, this is this is greenhorn coming out the line hunt i'm 
you send me up a canyon, say, go up there and see if you can find a kill up there. And I get up there and I find a kill, but it's scattered. Is there anything that you look for? Even, you know, the coyotes have scattered it out. Is there anything in that kill that you're specifically looking at to determine, did the coyotes kill this or did a lion kill it and then a coyote scattered it? Um, is there something that you could point me to, to say, you know, I'm, I, I, I yell at you, Cleve, get over here, man. There's a kill over here, but it's all scattered out. And you walk up and you're, and I'm saying, this is a coyote kill. And you're like, no, it's not. Look at this. This is a lion kill that was scattered by coyotes. Yep. Most of the time it's going to be that rib cage. You're going to have a hole in that rib cage. And then if, if it's a, if it's a bigger, say it's an elk or something, the coyotes can't drag it around. Well, most of the time, let's say if a big Tom killed it, he's going to drag it. If he can, he's going to drag it up underneath some heavy cover versus coyotes. They won't drag it. Not like mm -hmm. that. <clears throat> Most time they'll feed on it right there if they got decent cover, you know. So that's something to think about. And coyotes, it's going to look like a, you know, obviously if they've been on it, whether line killed or not, they're going to have deer hair scattered all over. So that can be tough to see, you know, where where that line bit it on the throat or on the back of the neck or whatever versus the coyotes dragged it, you know, dragged it down towards guts out. But the main thing is, is that, is that rib cage is going to have a hole right going, going right to that uh, heart and liver and lungs. And there's always a good chance that if it's a Tom, then he's going to have some, some older scratches someplace there, you know, maybe, if, maybe it's two weeks old. He's, he's most likely going to have some scratches close by. So look for the scratches. Okay. So now I'm, now I'm seeing it. We've got layers to this <clears throat> thing. You can't just walk up and say, it's it's a lion kill, you know, or if you can't determine that it's a, a lion kill, you're looking for other things. You're looking for scratches. You're looking for, you know, tracks in the area. It's not just, you can't have tunnel vision when you're a lion hunter. You got to look for a lot of different things to determine what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, you kind of got to treat it like, kind of like a crime scene, you know, you got to kind of, kind of dissect it all and kind of take it, take it apart piece by piece and to figure out what happened so but unfortunately mountain lions do get blamed for a lot of stuff they don't do you know and uh they yeah you know, they, there's there's deadheads that are found all the time and guys would say oh mountain lion killed that and you know that's not always the case so nice yeah i always i always like watching this is the cool thing i i just when I come out and hunt with you, it's going to be a real pleasure to sit back and just watch somebody who has put time in and works every day to master their craft. I really like watching craftsmen, you know, apply their trade at certain things and, and learning that. And that's why I think it's so, so cool that you you're doing, uh, you know, these podcasts with us and um Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, what else we got, Cleve? What else you want to cover in this part two? Um, there's something to think about is a female, if you find a kill there, sometimes them females will drop them kittens off at that kill. So just in case just in case you you know, you do cut a female and she don't have kittens with her, she might have kittens someplace on a kill there. That's something to keep in mind because she'll drop them kittens off. Them kittens sometimes they'll range away from that kill, maybe a quarter mile. They don't always stay put right on it, you know. So sometimes you'll find that 
that female, and she's got them kittens on a kill, and she'll go off and get water, get watered up, or go look for another another deer or something to kill because she's got to always got to be thinking ahead where she's going to get her next meal for her kittens. That sometimes happens, and uh, especially if you find a female. And you don't see a whole lot of kitten tracks, but you keep seeing a bobcat track by that female track. You probably got a kitten instead of a bobcat, you know. And uh, sometimes that happens, guys. You know, just oh, it just happens that there's a, a bobcat every place this lion goes. <laughs> that kitten doesn't always go right next to his mother. Sometimes he's a couple hundred yards away, hundred yards away, wandering around while she's doing stuff. That's something to keep in mind. And, and we found that by some of them kills, you know, them kittens they don't always stay right with their mother, and they don't always stay right on that kill. So, so, so for all of us greenhorns, <clears throat> tell us what you consider a kitten. It's not always just like a, you know, a, a nursing kitten, but, uh, I think that's what I, when you say kitten, my mind automatically goes to the little spotted, you know, kitten. But, but when, when lion hunters talk about kittens, what age bracket are we looking at there? Yeah, I'm looking at something under a year old, you know, it's going to be about 50 pounds or less. So somewhere in there it's it's not it's going to be like a the size of a big bobcat most of the time mm -hmm. yeah. and what, what weight did you say that would be at under, a year old probably under under 50 pounds mm -hmm. you know when they're okay. about a year old they're they're going to be about 50 pounds or maybe a little more for a tom but, and but what's uh, the average what's <laughs> the average size of that track diameter wise oh it's maybe overall from outside toe to outside toe is probably going to be about two inches you know that's mm -hmm. it that's 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 probably most likely what it's going to be you know as it'll fit inside a copenhagen can so easily and uh you just keep saying that you you're probably not going to want to go trail that one not if you're yeah. to kill kill something what if you, know? you don't what if you don't chew copenhagen how do you judge it oh you just roll <laughs> a chapstick because uh, you don't you don't and i quit believe no, it or gotcha. not i quit yeah gotcha. yeah 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 i never did I got a lot of bad habits. So that ain't one of them. So. <laughs> uh, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. Is that your rule? <laughs> no, I, dr <laughs> I drink. <laughs> Just, yep. I hear you. I hear you. Um, go ahead, Cleve. Oh, another thing to keep in mind, <clears throat> this is kind of off, off uh, topic, but I think we'd meant to talk about this earlier was, if that lion's walking down a bank versus on flat ground or up a bank, when he walks down a bank, his toes are going to spread out a little more and he's going to appear to be larger as well. So if you're trying to judge something by size, if he's stepping down over a bank or something, that's going to make it look maybe 20% bigger. And uh, that's going to make a world of difference because most of his, let's say 60% of his weight 70%, yeah, 60% of his weight is on his front quarters. So when he makes that first step coming down a bank, it's going to spread those toes out. And uh, what's an all rowdy, maybe a 100, 100 pound lion might look like a 130 pound lion, 140 pound lion if it's if it's in soft mud or soft dirt coming down a bank. So keep that in mind if you, you, you hit something, you think, man, that's a big old lion. Walk it out on flat ground or going up a hill. And when he goes up that hill or on flat ground, then you'll know the truth and you'll. Yeah, that that track won't lie to you then and that's something a lot of guys might not realize but um yeah, there's there's quite a quite a weight difference you know on on the front quarters versus the hind quarters that's why their their front feet are bigger than their hind feet by about 25 percent um because they displace more weight 
when they're walking. You know, if you got them big shoulders and that head and everything else mm-hmm. there, <laughs> just like horses. A, lot of, a horse might have a number two on the front, but he might have a number one on the back. And uh, it's our mule or whatever. It's, it could be about about the same. So mules yeah. are more consistent with that because their their weight's more displaced throughout their body than a horse. But um, there's there's something to think about. So so what's the what's the uh, what's what's the longest time that you've seen lions circle back? and check on kills and your and how do you know how do you know this stuff i mean you, this is the part that that we've covered in the past but i think we need to talk about it again uh you guys take a lot of notes and and do things like that but based on your experience what is the longest time you've seen a lion circle back oh probably probably about a month or two um really that long yeah my brother found a big old bull down in southern nevada that He's a big bull, probably 350, 360 class bull. And uh, we were after a really big tom. That big tom, my brother was trailing him. That big tom went right to that bull and went to sniffing around on it. And it was evident that, that that tom killed that bull. He knew exactly where it was. And the bull was most cleaned up. It's kind of started to turn and kind of get kind of stinking. So he wasn't going to eat on it anymore, but he went right to it to check on it. And it was evident that, that he killed it, you know. <clears throat> So otherwise he, he wouldn't have known where it was most likely unless he wandered upon it. But I think they, they pay more attention to it. Of course, if they're the one that killed it, so they want to go check mm-hmm. on it, see if something else came into it. And that happens oftentimes when a lion will kill a deer or an elk or something. And he still might have a lot of meat left on it to eat. And he sneaks into it and a coyote's eating on it. He gets that coyote, kills that coyote. Sometimes he eats the coyote, sometimes they don't. But uh, I think sometimes the coyote hangs around there and pesters that lion until he makes a mistake and that coyote <laughs> whacks him, you know, and then you got a dead coyote too, but we found that before. So, so and, you don't, but surely, surely these lions, I mean, they're walking around out here and they can read sign like better than we can as far as magpies, eagle flying up, you know, things like that. It's like, Hmm. Evidently, there's a kill over there of some sort. Maybe I should go over and check it out. And and they're they're finding other lion's kills. Is that possible? Oh yeah, I'm sure they do. You know, um, yeah, we we found where there's like a tom and and a female, and she might have two kittens, and they're all eating on the same kill, not at the same time, but they've all fed on the same animal, and it's hard telling who killed it. But um, okay, maybe, maybe she killed it, and then he came in and ate on it, or he killed it and then he went and found her. I think most time that's what happens. He'll kill it and then he'll go find a female and bring her into it. But we found quite a few times where there's, you know, there's kittens that are feeding on it too. Just obviously they ain't going to feed on it when he's eating on it at the exact same time. But them toms don't always kill them kittens. Sometimes they're, for whatever reason, you know, they're fine with them kittens right there. So we found that, that a fair amount. See that, I think there's this unwritten rule that we, we make up these unwritten rules about, about wildlife and nature and, and how things go. And, and typically we always say, you know, the toms are always killing these kittens, but you found that that's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a fair amount of times uh, that we found where, yeah, that tom will be eating, you know, feeding on a kill and a female will be bringing her kittens into it. And you think, well, why did, why didn't that tom kill them kittens? You know, Mm -hmm. 
whatever reason he don't sometimes he's fine with it we found where like a tom and a female and two kittens will be walking down the same road and it looks like they walk down there together but maybe he walked down there a little before them or after them but that's uh that's happened quite a bit too and it makes you wonder if them toms are always killing them kittens all that much if not i know it happens you know Mm -hmm. but it's obvious you know it happens some but maybe not as much as one thinks you know i don't know if there's always as murderous as we make them out to be (laughs) but um but yeah that's that's something to keep in mind just because you you know you, you got a tom on there and a female doesn't mean that them kittens are dead or he killed them sometimes he so doesn't. so if if you're finding if you're finding female and kitten tracks on a kill that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to keep looking around that area because there could be a tom tom track that's coming in there too that's just kind of getting lost in the lost in the sauce there with you know a female and two kittens feeding there you're really going to look that over good exactly yeah you're going to want to you want to look it over real thorough because there might be a Tom coming into that. He might know about that kill. He might be the one that killed it and let her have it, and he might have wandered off to make another kill. So uh, it's something to think about. Do you, find that, do you find that that's um, kind of indicative of, of younger Toms, or is there a rule? Have you, have you noticed any kind of general rule about that, that, that older Toms won't do that? Or is it younger Toms that are allowing females to, to exist in there with kittens? You ever found anything like that? No, we haven't found much difference. It seems like whether they're old or young, either way, they'll 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 do about the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd imagine most of the time, if if a tom's going to kill kittens, though, I think it, it'd be a big mature tom more likely than a young tom. But we found both. We found toms that were, you know, just probably just barely kicked off their mother, and they hook up with a female, and she might have one or two kittens, and they kind of hang out and. He wouldn't really leave his mommy. I guess not. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had mommy issues, so uh, there's something going on there. But Will yeah, you we, be we my found mother. Both. Yeah, we we found we found different instances, so it's not always written in stone that they kill them. But uh, you know, isn't that the cool? Isn't that the cool thing about hunting, though? I mean, we get we get to see wildlife on a level that you know, just somebody that that. You see people, they're a dime a dozen. It's like, oh, I love animals. I love wildlife. But when you're a hunter and we start really studying the animals, we have we have a level of respect and knowledge and understanding that, you know, somebody that watches the nature channel and takes a vacation to go see some wildlife will never understand. Exactly. You know, they they all have their opinions you know on how wildlife should be managed but until you trail a lion for a week or two you you don't really know a whole lot about mountain lions you know and then you know you do that a few hundred times in your lifetime you're going to know a whole lot more about about lions than somebody that watched marty stauffer videos growing up so yeah it's there's a difference there's definitely a difference and and you learn a lot about them how much how much respect do you have for lions cleve this is a, a deep question. We did we didn't rehearse this, so I'm I'm going to ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I respect them a lot, and especially seeing the country they move, you know, and cover, and and the the conditions they live in, and then having the ability to get away from, you know, a pack of hounds is is mind blowing. You know, that's 
makes you wonder if they sometimes are able to reason. I used to think, I don't know if they can, but I sometimes wonder if they can reason to a degree because I know they, I know they learn from their mistakes and I know they learned from being caught and released and jumped out of trees. And those, those lines can be really tricky to catch. So yeah, I have, I do have a lot of respect for them, especially seeing some of the battle scars on them. You know, I've, I've found where they've been kicked in the face by an elk and, all their teeth are just hanging in there by the gums and, and that line's still fatter than hell, you know? And, uh, we found where they, we caught a couple toms, one in particular, he had his nose more or less bit off and peeled down over his face from another tom. And he was, it happened maybe the week before I'm guessing. And, and he's still out hunting deer. He still had to make a living. And, you know, you, us, you know, a person would be still healing up from that. And I think their pain tolerance is quite high. But their their ability to cover ground and cover cover long distances is 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 amazing, and I, I do have a lot of respect for them. How far do you think a you know say a tom tom lion is is uh, taking up a home range in the Great Basin there? How how wide, long, how much area is that covering for a home range for a tom lion? Mm, for any given any given moment i think they'll they'll get into an area and they call that home for a while and then they'll drift off but a lot of these these lines here we've found where they'll travel you know 50 60 miles in one direction and then another you know eight or ten in another so they might have an they might have an area that's you know a couple hundred square miles three or four hundred square miles that they're calling home and they're they're walking 10 15 20 miles a night lay up and then do it again the next day so uh, they they can definitely travel some and cover some country. So that that brings up an interesting point. What's the farthest that you've like? Okay, you you have got a distinctive track on the line. Maybe he's he's got a toe that lays weird, and you've seen it, or he's got a, a real distinct scar on a pad that you're picking up in the bug dust and stuff like that. You find him on this ridge. And you leave him there overnight, and then the next day you find his track somewhere else. What's the farthest away that you've ever you've ever thought you've you've been on the same line like that? Um, we I trailed one a few years back. I trailed him nineteen and a half miles one day, and then a couple of days later I trailed him. We trailed him seven miles, and then the day after that we trailed him nine miles and never caught up to him and uh so that's you know that's that's 30 some miles in two or three days uh, but uh it's that's not uncommon to trail them 12 or 14 miles in a day and, and not even jump them so but does that mean that he moved 12 or 14 miles that day or or do you think that he what do you what do you think his average walking distance was during that time I think that all depends on food source and the way the, the terrain lane lays. If it's really rugged country, they won't walk as far. Mm-hmm. But if it's more rolling hills and they can hit the bottoms of these mountain ranges, they can line out, you know, 15, 18, 20 miles in, in a day or in a night. And you're you're getting in on half of it. So you're trailing 10 miles. He might right. walk 10 miles before you cut his track. So oftentimes they'll, they'll walk, you know, 15, 20 miles in a night and not think much of it. And especially if they're going between deer, deer herds, you know, if you got a deer herd that's 20 miles away, he's, he's probably not going to waste his time getting there. He's going to, 
he's going to get there quick. And he's probably going to hit the base of that mountain range where it's easier traveling. And he can really stride out and walk and, and cover some ground. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for him to go that far. Oh, man. That's what, that is what's so cool about hunting lions. I mean, they're just, in my opinion, they're the, the ultimate predator on the landscape in North America. They've got a wide range. Um, I don't know how we ever catch them, really. I mean, to think that, that hunting with hounds is an unfair advantage to manage uh, this resource for wild, you know, is, is such an ignorant statement to make because our hounds don't live out there. They don't have, there's some good lion hounds out there, some legendary lion hounds, but no lion hound is going to catch every line that you put them on. Those lions live out there every day. They know that land we're going into their world and we're trying to, trying to outsmart them, catch up with them. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing and you can spend your whole life trying to learn it all and you can't, you'll never master all of it. Yeah. 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 You'll never learn it all. Yeah. And if you did, it wouldn't be any fun at that, you know, right. That's, that's the funnest part is learning stuff. And sometimes the funnest part is, is getting schooled on them, you know, and, and thinking, you know, yeah, I think, I think I know quite a bit about lines and sometimes they keep you humble. So that's, that's the best part. There's a lot of life lessons that, that houndsmen and hunters get to have, uh, that, that you can't really teach any other place. You know, it's, it's a microcosm. You can play sports and different things like that. But when you get into the world of a a large predator that makes his living off the landscape, there's such a level of respect there that we as hunters have. I don't know. That's what drives me nuts about all these people that, that they don't have the they don't have the experience they don't they don't understand that but they've got an opinion it's like you know i've got an opinion about the boston marathon but i don't i'm not immersing myself into that lifestyle so why do i have a say on the rules of marathons i don't you know (laughs) i don't understand that why somebody with such a low investment gets such a large voice in in how we live our lives yeah yeah, unfortunately, they they do have the right to advertise their ignorance, and that doesn't it doesn't do the animal or the you know the sport any good. So, I love that line right there. They have the right to advertise their ignorance. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to steal that. I'll try to credit you as much as I can, but I'm not making any promises. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. <laughs> Take it. Roll with it. But, uh, oh man. Yeah. Um, another point I was wanting to bring up is um, if you on this and i didn't mean to get off to interrupt you but uh before i forget if you're if you are like hunting in central arizona the main bird down there that's going to run off say crows and smaller scavenging birds would be your vultures and your eagles as well but your vultures are going to be a dominant bird over over those smaller birds so that's something to keep in mind if you're hunting in central arizona in the sonoran desert versus up up north it's going to be eagles up in the great basin in colorado is going to be eagles it's going to be the dominant bird on a, on a kill so and, keep and, in mind. yeah and, and to wrap this up here in just a second but uh just mm-hmm. kind of put that back in perspective we talked about birds in the past and it's not unusual to see crows and and magpies or whatever feeding on whatever they feed on but when you've got a raptor that comes off of a 
off the ground after the magpies and stuff leave, then you need to be getting your butt over there and checking because you probably got a kill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. sometimes them and that and that line or that uh that eagle might not fly up directly. You might have to wait twenty seconds or so. Sometimes they'll get kind of heavy with meat and they have a little bit of trouble getting off the ground. So sometimes if I if I see birds, you know, magpies or crows or something fly up, and I think there's a kill there. If I'm in my truck, I'll honk my horn and see if an eagle flies up. If an eagle, an eagle does fly up, you know, it might take him 20 seconds to get get out of there and get up, get airborne, then go over there and check it out for sure. And that's, he's uh, been bellied. He's been bellied up at the table, and he's been gorging himself, and his guts are full of meat, and he can't get off the ground. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So got it. Got yeah. it. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. Well, I think, uh, you know, this is, it's, it's, talking about topics like this can be kind of brutal to the, to the unaware. Uh, you know, we've talked about the hardships of lions. We've talked about the brutality of killing, but that, that is what the real world is all about when you're talking about these wild animals. Uh, it, it, there is no glorious death for, uh, wildlife out there. They either starve to death or preyed upon, or they die of old age, which is starvation and disease. So, um, I always like to point that out in every episode because as a culture, we seem to think that, um, it doesn't exist and it does exist. It, it, nature is a cruel, it's a cruel world out there. And as houndsmen, when we get that old Tom caught and we can see the battle scars on him, or we can see that, you know, when he, when he grins at us, we can see he's missing teeth. He is doomed to die a brutal death, either at the hands of a pack of wolves, uh, starving to death or, or whatever. So I always like to dispel that rumor and it is a brutal topic to talk about, but having that understanding makes us better stewards of the land and helps us manage this this wonderful resource that we have out there and it's better for the lion population overall would you agree with that yeah it definitely needs to be kept in check you know mm -hmm. look at look at california a lot of places there their their lions are overpopulated and they're in suburban areas where they can't really range out as far and there's far more human human mountain lion conflicts and sure. that's Everybody always, you know, they they always think that it's cruel to the lion to to kill it or whatever. But it's that's that's not fair to the lion to get them, let them get overpopulated as well. They need to be managed. And the other fact about that is, you can take lion hunting off the landscape, but there's more lions being killed in California right now 
by uh, hired government employees that have to go in there and take these these nuisance animals out of the out of the uh, off the landscape than there ever was by lion hunters. Yeah, you know, and that's exactly so that that's that's a lie to think that if you stop hunting lions, the population is going to be better. It's not. Lions weren't meant to to be feeding on fluffy the cats in the backyard in a suburban neighborhood you know and and to think that that we're saving lions by outlawing hunting is a, just a flat-out lie they it's been proven we kill more lions in those problem neighborhoods uh, where lion hunting has been outlawed than we ever did while we were managing it by the north american wildlife model of conservation so cleve we're gonna have to wrap with this one up buddy i'm telling you uh third time's a charm we've we've tried to record this segment three times and through techni- uh technology and and uh different difficulties i've had on my end we finally got it done this is going to be a good one i appreciate your time you bet you're welcome yeah well we'll uh we'll come up with the we've got some more in the works yeah too. yeah 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 we got, we got some a good lot, ones coming up we got a lot to talk about cleve i appreciate it man yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, hopefully All right. somebody got something from it. So, Guarantee it. Hey, until next time, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Yep, you bet. <laughs>